What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday, and welcome to the third season of the Vanguard Project. I hope you all had a wonderful holiday season and uh, are ready to go for uh, 2023. I've sat down, written down some goals for this year. Uh, if you follow me on the Instagram, you've seen that I have uh, decided to take a bull riding, which uh, I don't know if is a, a good idea or a bad one yet, but been sore, been having fun, started working part-time on a ranch, learning some new things. So it's been uh, off to a good start, but I'm excited to be back with you all. Went to SHOT Show, uh, met some new friends, some new cool, really, really cool people. So so uh, I'm excited to uh, get back into it with everybody and uh, kick 2023 in the teeth. So uh, with that being said, I'm excited and thankful for all of you. Uh, if you haven't yet, please uh, like and subscribe to the show. Stay up to date. And if you are a, a consistent follower, I love you. And uh, please leave uh, a rating and uh, a review. Uh, otherwise, I'm really excited because I have been super fortunate to have partnered with a couple different companies. Uh, one of whom is uh, I was finally able to put a, a face to the name, and that is over at Midwest Gunworks. And um, I've ordered a couple of things from them, uh, and uh, they've got a massive selection of mostly AR parts, a couple handgun parts, 22 parts and whatnot, but they are a, uh, a significant online store um, for all of your uh, parts, bits, and bobs, and needs for uh, your next build. So be sure to uh, hit them up, check them out. They have quick turnaround time in terms of shipping, um, a massive selection, like I said, and uh, use code Vanguard for 5% off. And for those of you uh, like me that like to turn and burn guns uh, in terms of building, buying, selling, trading, using, building, buying, trading, selling, shipping, all, not shipping, but you know what I mean, going through all of them, uh, it adds up fast. Uh, and 5% goes a whole hell of a long ways. So be sure to use code Vanguard, like I said, on a Midwest Gunworks website for 5% off. But all that to say, I'm excited. I've got a, a handful of interviews scheduled this week. And uh, one of whom, uh, well, I guess actually uh, Mike and I sat down not that long ago now. Uh, and uh, I'm excited to get after it. I know that I said that a handful of times already, but took a nap. I had a long day. And uh, we're ready to get after it. So I'm going to stop babbling. I'm going to roll an awesome episode with Mr. Mike of Nomadic Fieldcraft. And I will catch you all next time. What is up, ladies and gentlemen? Welcome to the Vanguard Project Podcast. My name is Austin Jardine. Happy freaking Monday, because that's when this will be coming out. And actually, Mike and I are recording on a Monday evening. So, Mike, I'm excited. Um, we connected just, uh, I think it was like, what, Friday last week? Thursday or Friday yeah. last week? and A couple, couple days ago? Yeah, and I'm excited because I was checking out your guys' podcast, too. You do um, some fun little fieldcraft stuff. You guys run Nomadic Fieldcraft. And I'm excited because we were talking a little bit, and it sounds like you've done quite a few different things that have led up to where you're at now. And kind of in the vein of what I try and do with this podcast, right, is have guys like you who do some fucking cool stuff uh, kind of share your story. So I'm excited because you and I really haven't really haven't interacted beyond maybe the the 10 minutes leading up to pressing record so i'm excited man if you don't mind maybe uh introducing yourself a little bit i'm gonna grab this marker and a piece of paper right here and uh i'll take notes and uh maybe we'll just get to know you and see what y'all are up to 
for sure. Awesome. Thanks, man, for having me. Um, yeah, so I'm uh, Mike from Nomadic Fieldcraft. I usually just go by Nomad on there. Um, yeah, we kind of started that, I don't know, in the last year, I guess. And yeah, I was military. Again, for people kind of listening and don't really know who I am, I'm from Canada. So I was in the Canadian military, and then I switched over to the law enforcement side. Only did that for a couple of years. Kind of transitioned out, not really sure what to do. Kind of dabbed in a school a bit, didn't really like it. And then I thought, okay, well, how can I kind of spread some of the knowledge and experience I've gained through my time as an adult in a uniform? And then I kind of stumbled into this space where I found kind of a gap where there's a whole bunch of like tactical stuff and then the kind of non-tactical outdoor industry, like hunting hikers through hikers. But there's a lot of stuff that kind of blends in between all of it and no one's really sharing that information. So I kind of fell with my experience from both. And then again, being from Canada, where it's not a very tactical space, I could bring stuff to both sides. Yeah, dude, that's sweet. So I'm taking notes. So I I think you might be among the first people that I have spoken to um, in Canada, let alone having served in the Canadian military. Yeah. Can you kind of maybe share with me why you decided to go into the military and what kind of service looks like in the Canadian military? Yeah, for sure. So. Um, I mean, I'm in my mid thirties right now. So anyone can do the math. I was, uh, like old enough to remember nine 11. I was a kid. I was in like high school, like grade nine, I think grade nine or eight when nine 11 happened, but I was old enough to know what that was and what that context was. And again, I grew up in Canada. I wasn't in the States, so it didn't affect me as strongly as other people, but I still felt a sense of, holy shit, there's like a war happening or could happen. And this is like my chance. And I kind of wanted to be a soldier when I was a little kid. Um, so yeah, flash forward to, I graduate high school in 2006. I walk into a recruiting center, like literally 17 years old. I say, I want to join the infantry and I want to go overseas and fucking kill Taliban. And the recruiter stops me and thinks I'm a psychopath. Cause that's not apparently the answer you say in Canada. <laughs> so they like, weren't really sure if I was what they were looking for. And I was like blown away because as a kid, I like literally grew up watching every movie you could think of in like the early 2000s, like Black Hawk Down, dude, I've seen like a million times. And I thought I was going to be a ranger <laughs> walking to a recruiting center. Nice. So, okay. Right. So yeah, I'm like, oh, it's a cultural thing, and I had no idea. So yeah, kind of flash forward. I joined the military, and for people who don't really know, without getting too deep into it, because it's honestly going to bore people with just the Canadian military context. But talking to other people in the states, Canada doesn't have differentiating basics between branches. So like, oh, I did okay. basic with Air Force and Navy losers, which makes no sense because ah, okay. I was infantry. Yeah. <laughs> okay. Fair <laughs> enough. So, yeah, they kind of shove you all in the same thing to, like, train you up to, quote, unquote, the same standard. But, like, anyone with a brain could figure out that standard's pretty, like, low if they have infantry guys doing, like, stuff clerks are doing, right? So that's just kind of how they run basic here. Um, Yeah, I did all the training, obviously. I got to a light infantry battalion with, like, a parachute capability. Canada does not have an airborne regiment. They did in the 90s. They haven't in a very long time. But I I was there for the majority of my career. Um, I went to Afghanistan at one point during the GWAT. Again, Canada's contribution is very small. So I don't even really talk about it, man, because Canada pulled out of Afghanistan like a decade ago. So again, anyone can do the math. I went over a decade ago. So my experience is dated. And like, I'm not stupid. Like, I get that. Um, Yeah, Canada pulled out, I don't know, like 2012 or something. So and then I got out, man, in 2017 when it got really slow at work in the army and it got really lame. And again, in 2006, when I joined, I literally wanted to go to Afghanistan. That was the only reason I got in. So when everything kind of slowed down, I knew it was time to get out. Yeah. 
So I'm thinking about this, right? So why was 9-11, and I'm going to ask kind of a couple questions yeah, around sure. this, right? So was 9-11 the, the main reason you wanted to go join the Army? Or was there something more? Because like in the States, right, a lot of it is around service to the country, right? Yes. Yeah. Was that something for you as well and the Canadian kind of population in general? No, I had zero intention to serve, like to support the people or like make it a career. I only wanted to be a soldier to go to war pre 9-11 as like a child. And then mm. 9-11 was like a perfect, I don't want to say excuse, but I'm like, oh, this, this like validates my like belief in what it, being a soldier is. Interesting. Is that a common thing? Uh, like a common no uh, shared feeling? <laughs> no. Okay. No. Yeah. I guess no. you'd mention that, huh? Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Not common at all. Just like I said, when I went to recruiting center, dude, they thought I was crazy. Hmm. So then given that experience, right, this is maybe one, one of a few times I'll probably ask the same question, but in that experience, what was maybe one thing that you learned or wish you would have known going either into the army or experiencing it or retiring? Um, so I kind of had a gut feeling walking into the recruiting center, especially getting that answer. And again, because Canada, they shove all three branches, Air Force, Army, Navy on the same basic training. Mm -hmm. And the recruiter in Canada, they don't have like an Army recruiter or an Air Force recruiter. It's just whoever the hell you get in that center. Hmm. So my recruiter was an Air Force woman. So like something in my gut was like, oh, this is probably not what I think it's going to be. But at 17 years old, literally fresh out of high school, and I just really wanted to go, and this was 2006. So, like, again, anyone can look at the history. 06, 05, 07 was, like, crazy, right, in Afghanistan? Right. So I'm like, okay, I'm the right age. This is, like, perfect. But something in my gut was, like, I should have just waited. So I actually, before I joined, like, right before I – so I went into the recruiting center, got all the paperwork and stuff, and it takes months to get, like – not months, I guess, sorry, like, eight weeks or something to actually, like, get – get sworn in they're like yeah you're gonna go to basic or whatever i drove down because i grew up in ontario for anyone who knows a map of canada it's like i don't want to say the hub but like most of our population lives in ontario that's where most people live i grew up just north of new york state so i actually drove across the border after i went to the canadian forces recruiting center and tried to join the u.s army at the, at the rangers but they're only taking u.s citizens really i wanted to go there because after the recruiting feeling i had i'm like this is not what i think it is Okay. And did it end up being what you wanted it to be? I mean, were you able to make it into kind of this infantry, um, go kick ass, take names, kill bad guys experience? Um, it's definitely not, again, when you compare it to like an American guy's career, it's honestly like a fraction of what you can do in the U S military. And I know that sounds cheesy where everyone's like, it's what you can make of it. And that 100% is correct because I was fortunate to do a lot of other I don't know, quote unquote, advanced courses that other guys don't get to do because I was physically fit. I was extremely motivated. I wanted to be there over other people where it was just a paycheck. But again, when you compare it to that 18 year old kid joining a Ranger regiment, literally off civilian street, you would like, there's no comparison. Like Mm -hmm. the experiences are so much more minor than what you could have gotten. Arguably, if you were to join like a regiment of like equivalency, I guess. Interesting. Okay. That's good to know. Now I don't want to skip too far ahead in in kind of the sequence of things, but given kind of nomadic field craft now, um, did you have any experience that kind of during your time in the military that supported what you're doing now, or did this kind of stem later on? So 
um not to like jump around too much but like this so the term fieldcraft for anyone who's like not really familiar with it and i, I know and like i'm familiar you've interv- you've interviewed a couple guys from fieldcraft survival and they use that in their company name as well but the actual term of fieldcraft from the military standpoint is ju- is defined as like living operating moving and conducting operations in a field environment it's pretty broad right mm-hmm, mm-hmm. so anyone in the infantry or any you know arguably combat arms trade does do some form of field craft at some point in their career. It's just a question of, do they do it well or do they do it incorrectly? Right. Okay. And then again, because of the unit I went through specifically and the courses I was able to do, I was in like, um, we just call it recce platoon. That's where I spent most of my career, but like almost like a long range dismounted, like patrol group. Like we were in much smaller teams. I wasn't mechanized. I wasn't really supervised by like the big green army. So like we kind of got to do our own thing. And in those type of roles, field craft is literally your bread and butter because you're essentially unsupported. Okay. Okay. I'm taking notes. Got it. <clears throat> okay. So I'm going to come back to that, but again, sure. I don't want to skip around a whole hell of a lot. I just sure. kind of like we talked about, want to kind of set up where we're, where we're leading into. Okay. So you made it through your time in, in the military, in the army, um, to a certain extent, you were able to make it what you wanted, not quite to the extent that you would have hoped for. Now, what was the reason for um, your retiring and le- or falling into law enforcement? Um, so without getting like, again, too political on like the Canadian side, because I know no one really gives a shit, but like uh, we got a certain prime minister that the world really hates right now. And Canada has unlimited terms for prime minister. So it's not like in the States, we can only be a president for two terms. Canada, right. you could literally be prime minister for like 30 years. So when this current dude came in, I was still in the army and all these older um, senior NCOs and officers straight up told us at work that like the army's going to get really fucking stupid now because of where the government's going. And I was already pretty sour when Afghanistan ended and like we lost all money. People started to like really be toxic and complacent at work. And I was kind of like a middle rank. I was the equivalency to an E6 for the U.S. Army guys like listening if they understand that system. I was in charge of like a squad. But we, again, we use ter- different terminologies, but I was the same rank as an E6. So I had been in, yeah, I did like almost 12 years by the time I got out. So by the time our government had changed to the current government, this was 2013, I think, 12 or 13 or 14, around that time frame, I knew I'm like, yeah, I got to get out of here. I'm like, it's getting terrible. Was that a hard decision for you to make? And and hard being like, one, you're you're changing careers, giving up what you know to go into the great unknown. Was that, mm-hmm. was that challenging or pretty straightforward? So I told with it for about a year. I wasn't really sure because again, when I got in, like, you know, like nine 11, I remember, uh, GWAT was like huge. All I thought I was going to do was be a soldier. And then I saw the transition at work where it started to shift on the focus was no longer on like war fighting or making warriors. It was on like being whatever the political agenda was currently. And they were just going to push the army in that direction. So whenever I like came to the conclusion that like, I didn't really want to be a part of that anymore and it didn't sit with me morally. I'm like, Hey, I need to get the fuck out. Mm -hmm. Okay. So when you got out, you had mentioned that very few folks go from military to law enforcement. There are, sorry, go ahead. I was going to say why, what led you to law enforcement rather than, I know you'd mentioned previously kind of before we hit record, maybe going back to school or Mm -hmm. pursuing some other trade work. Yeah. So a lot of people, and what I mean by it's not common again, because like in my age category or my generation, I guess would be the easiest way to explain it. I didn't retire from the military. So how they describe it in Canada to actually formally retire 
you have to do 25 years as an enlisted man. In the States, it's 20. It's 25 in Canada. Okay. I only did like, I just like, I did just under 12. So I did not retire. I broke my contract. That's the actual term. Oh, okay. Yeah. I did not know that. Okay. Yeah. So when you break your contract and again, it's like, I'm not going to get into, well, it's obviously like for me, it wasn't a dishonorable discharge. That's not a thing. The, the term in Canada is VR. I voluntarily released. So I broke my terms of service. I'm like, I don't want to be anymore. I want to get the fuck out. Like, I, I don't want to be here anymore. And it's very common. A lot of people do that because they don't want to last 25 years or a lot of guys will only do like five years. And they're like, this isn't for me. And they kind of get out. But I was kind of in the middle boat where I would think like, could I do another 13 here? And again, because of all the shit at work, I knew mentally I couldn't take it. I'm like, there's no way. I'm not even halfway. I wasn't even at 12 years. Interesting. Okay. <clears throat> so mentally you couldn't take it. Now, was that because of the experiences? And this is kind of like, I feel like I probably already know the answer. Or was that because of the experiences you've gone through where mentally you were kind of taxed on like, holy shit, I've been through some stuff and I've seen some stuff. Or was it, hey, it is genuinely the the political aspect of it? No, it was genuinely the political aspect. And it wasn't even... It wasn't even like it wasn't even that I was like burnt out because like again the unit I was in was pretty high tempo for mm-hmm. Canada speaking and like I had done a lot in the time I was in like I was barely home man my last three years I was gone all the time okay either between like courses or whatever but it was just when it, like in the grand scheme of things with where the government was pushing where the Canadian forces was turning into I looked at myself in uniform and I'm like dude I can't like wear this with like pride or respect anymore it's going in a direction I don't want to be a part of. Okay. Fair enough. Fair enough. So you transitioned out. Uh, I know that you'd mentioned you tried going back to school. Was that pre-law enforcement, post-law enforcement? Well, that was actually post. So again, so on the Canadian side, uh, we don't have a GI bill. Again, people don't know that. Like we don't get that option. You only get um, money for school if you're like medically released from the military. And I was not. So I didn't get like any money for school, nothing. So I was like, okay, do I go to school full time and I get a student loan, but I'm like 28 or 29 at this point. I'm like, okay, do I do that? Uh, Or do I just find a job and do whatever? And instead of just finding a job, the clear indication that again, from my kind of jaded upbringing as a child who wanted to be a soldier, I'm like, well, soldiers quit and they be cops because they carry guns. That's like the same thing, right? Like that's an easy transition. Um, So I honestly did it because I, I thought it would be like the, the natural course of like progression. Okay. Did it feel natural for you? I mean, no, no, no. I was the only guy in my training Academy dude that was ex military. Again, that just shows like the Canada side. It's not common. Interesting. So I, I don't, I don't know if I asked why, why is that? Um, Whenever I was on basic training, uh, some one of our instructors, because we don't have drill, like we don't have drill sergeants or drill instructors. It's not a term. It's just one of our like ca- like core staff, or whatever. He told me very early on in my like like literally basic. He said, "There's three reasons people join the army." He said, "It's either to like kill people, you're doing it because your parents did it, or you're doing it because you need a job." There was no reason of like, oh, it's like you want to serve your country, or like it's something to do. And I again, I was in that category of Afghanistan happened. I kind of want to like come here and kill people. And then when all that war was over and I was getting out, I'm like, okay, well, I don't really know why I want to be law enforcement now. And a lot of guys just stayed in the army because they needed a job. Or like I said, their parents were in, or they get out completely and they don't wear another uniform again. A lot of guys don't transition to another uniform side. Man, that is crazy to me. Cause like, 
you know, out here, right? I mean, every other cop, it seems, right, was in the service That's, of some yeah, way, shape, or form, you know? Yeah. But I guess I, I wonder, too, right? I mean, what, and this is kind of a, a an interesting community question, I think, more than anything, but, like, what, I don't know how I want to ask this, right? I guess, what type of people are you dealing with, though, on the streets? Are they genuinely, like, shitheads? Is crime rampant? I mean, I haven't looked at crime statistics in, in you know, Canada at all, ever. So I have no idea kind of what you're dealing with. I mean, does that, is it, are they looking for a different type of person than, say, stateside uh, law enforcement? Yeah. So, again, from my experience, because I was only there, like, just just over two years i think i quit during covid again like we'll get into that but like i left during covid but um yeah because i was the only guy in my training academy who was ex-military let alone infantry and like you know quote unquote had done the cool guy stuff um everyone else there man it was like they were either straight up mall security or they had multiple university degrees and they couldn't get jobs so they were like well i'll be a cop i have a degree and i was the only guy that didn't have post-secondary um i again i was super well i'm not super old but like i was 29 people were way younger than me sure going through so these people had like way less experience than me especially world world like real world application right they had like done whatever before but they're but when they were little they're like well i want to be a cop and i'm like i didn't want to do that when i was a little kid that was never a thing it's just it's a transition for me do you think that that put you at a disadvantage then i mean having had real world experience kind of in I don't know, police, honestly, because like when I look at, at soldiers and, and Marine Corps guys, a lot of it, I feel, is policing to a certain extent, right? Like, I think that there is a there is a level of commanding presence, organization structure that you bring to the table that is required in intense situations like being a law enforcement officer. Did that mm-hmm. help you at all or or in kind of the academy training world situation that you're putting it put into into your hometown? Did that help or hinder you? So it's kind of hard because again, like I joined the army because I wanted to just like go overseas and fucking shoot people. Mm-hmm. I didn't join the army because I wanted to like, you know, have a high and tight, polish my boots, get medals, all that stupid, like parade shit. I didn't want any of that. Right. So then all that crap on the law enforcement side, they were like blown away, dude, that I like never polished my boots at like the academy. And like, I was always late. Cause I didn't give a shit. Cause I knew it was stupid. I was just there to do the training. So like that was a hindrance for sure. The other side is because I was an NCO and I was coming in at an older age, dude, some of our instructors were like five years younger than me and all they had ever done was teach at this academy. Sure. So like I never listened to them. It was like terrible to try and learn from these people. Yeah. You were like uh, Ron Swanson walking. Yes. I I know more (laughs) than you. Yeah. (laughs) But I never said it, but I just sat there and you could see by my body language, my face, I didn't want to be there. Yeah. So how did you deal with that? I guess, I guess what then, how did you work through that? And then what led you into kind of the next phase of life? Honestly, man, every day of the Academy, I'd come home to my like ex-girlfriend at the time. And I'd look at her and be like, I want to quit every day. I'm like, I want to fucking quit. I'm like, this is fucking terrible. Mm -hmm. I'm like, I hate everything about this. This is not what I wanted. But then we'd be like, well, we need money. Like I need a job. And, and again, going back to, I said earlier, people join the army because they need a job. They did it because their parents, they want to kill people. And I hated dudes when I was in the army who were only there for a paycheck. Yeah. So then I'd look at myself and I'm like, oh my God, I've become what I fucking hate. Like I'm literally here because I need a job. Okay. 
it was a super hard pill to swallow going through training, dude, because it was it was so taxing mentally daily. But you made it through and you survived for two years, you said. Yeah, just before around COVID, I left. Yeah. Okay. Now, what was maybe the one thing that you learned about yourself in training, right? And I'm not asking about the training itself, right? But through training, what did you learn about yourself? And then through being a law enforcement officer that you're like, man, I would never have learned this about me or life in general had I not stuck this out. I think that like, no matter what experiences you get in life, good or bad, they they're going to like set you up to be successful in whatever your next in, like endeavor is, even if it's short, even if it's long-term or whatever, because there was a lot of stupidity that I saw both in training, but also at, like out of training, just doing my own thing where if I didn't have that experience in the army, I would have probably been shocked or I would have been surprised or I would have been like destroyed morally or like, you know, ethically. But again, because I had done a lot of other shit before I'm like, ah, whatever, like this is, it is what it is. But I'm only here for a paycheck and I'm honestly just looking for another job at this point. Yeah. Okay. So I feel like we've talked about a lot, right? Between, (laughs) you know, army law enforcement, kind of the personal growth, becoming what you didn't want to be at some point. Right. Yeah. Maybe before we move into what, um, you know, nomadic field craft is now, how it started, came about what you guys are doing up until this point, has there been anything that, that you've learned that, you kind of reflect on maybe daily or every now and then you're like, man, this is super important for me to share um, that I don't get asked a whole lot. Um, Specifically to like the military or like law enforcement or just uh, in, general? in general so far up until this point. It's one of my favorite loaded questions. <laughs> that is a tough question because again, man, I feel like, I feel like both those jobs, like I did, to a high level of competency, but I was there for the wrong reason because of the cultural like norm, if that makes sense. It does. Yep. Okay. So like I definitely felt out of place, but honestly, um, the only thing that I can think like positively from all that experience, because again, you're you're looking at like 15 years of my life as an adult combined between both, is that like even if you don't agree with like the group of people you're working with, either professionally or like sorry the people on your team or the people against your team at the end of the day, like the only thing that matters is how hard you work and how badly you want to be there. Because even to the last day of being in uniform, I gave a shit. Mm -hmm. Even though I knew deep down, like the law enforcement side, I hated the, I hated the uniform and then the military side, I completely disagreed with what they were doing, but I still cared up until my last day. Mm -hmm. Okay. I wrote that down. Even if you don't agree, it only matters how hard you work and how much you give a shit. Yeah. (laughs) Okay. Those are good life words to live by, honestly. <laughs> okay. So um, let's talk about what you guys are doing with uh, Nomadic Fieldcraft. Because it's, is it two or three of you guys? I was, t- I was poking on one of your episodes earlier this week or this weekend because yeah. I was driving around. How did that come about? What are you guys doing? I want to know all about it. Okay. So um, it's going to, not that it's going to get confusing, but. Okay, so Nomadic Fieldcraft was the name that I coined just for me. And it, it started off it started off as like a mental health journey where I, I had left law enforcement and I had all this energy and all this like knowledge, but I wanted to share with people, but not in a uniform capacity. Mm-hmm. And then I had nothing. I had no information about Instagram, nothing about social media. Like I don't have a Facebook. I don't have any of that shit. So then 
my girlfriend's like, Hey, there's Instagram. The people are sharing photos and it's like kind of tactical. There's a whole tactical side and people are like sharing knowledge and it's like free. You just whatever, submit kind of whatever like blurb you want to write. And that's how it started. So I kind of did that first. And then through that, I found another person online that we ended up like collaborating like eight months ago. And we started our podcast first response fieldcraft podcast. And that's both of us. And he's still law enforcement in the States. And he also was military. But the nomadic fieldcraft side was it was me when it started. Okay, got it. So when it started, then you said it was more of the mental health journey and to start sharing kind of the things that you've learned. What I guess what were the mental health things that you were trying to share? And then also the fieldcraft related things, right? Going back to your living, operating, moving, right? I mean, what Mm -hmm. are you focusing on? Yeah, so. And what I mean, so um, like referencing the mental health, sorry, it wasn't sharing stuff like mental health related. It was like a positive, like, like kind of outlet for me, because again, okay. like I had so much knowledge and info that I wanted to share, but in a uniform capacity, I wasn't getting that like outlet because people culturally didn't want to like learn. People didn't give a shit. And sure. I saw it in both sides. People didn't care because. I'm like doing air quotes right now, but like the war was over is what people fucking said in Canada. They're like, dude, stop caring. The war's over. Or again, you switch to law enforcement side. And dude, I heard all the time. People always argued with me and said, it doesn't matter, dude. I just got to get through shift. I'm like, but we're not like getting better. Like, I don't understand why it's such a fucking pushback when I'm trying to like grow as a professional. Right. Interesting. Okay. Is that, is that common? Okay. Which I, it's funny. Cause you kind of already said that, but is that, Outside of being in uniform, universally across Canadian culture, when it we're talking specifically, I guess in this case about field crafts and growing better, right? And yeah. I don't how to frame that up without sounding <laughs> like a total asshole, right? I mean, I mean, or is it? I don't, I don't want to use the word complacent, but is it? Is it complacent? It is complacent, hundred percent. It is because, dude, we used to say that all the time in the army that complacency kills, and then again at some point the army stopped saying that, and then I was being told i like my attitude was like toxic and wrong and i'm trying to like push it too hard or whatever so i'm like okay dude like you don't want to grow i'm out of here i'm gonna grow and i'm gonna find my own tribe maybe i'll find it. law enforcement i go there it was fucking worse I'm like okay th- these are not the dudes i'm looking for i need to find other people that's crazy to me so then <clears throat> excuse me so then with uh you know your podcast and your instagram page and what you're trying to do right you're obviously trying to to provide a lot of the information that you are that you've learned glean that you love and appreciate right mm-hmm. um what who are the type of people that you're trying to i guess get in contact with right or reach out to what are the type of what type of information you're sharing right i mean i feel like i know the answer to this question but asking for listeners so There's a huge, again, like people may disagree with me, but anyone who's like listening to your show is in this quote unquote tactical space. There's a huge disconnect with anyone ex-military and law enforcement is like they're on one side of the fence and anyone who's not and wants to like suck them off for knowledge is on the other. Whereas there's no one kind of giving information and I'm not saying for free, but like offering to help all types of people instead of just bro vets or like, oh no, this course is only mill and LA or like, oh no. We're only going to help civilians because we don't want to touch the mill LE side because, you know, like, like we disagree with it politically or whatever, but I'm like, but there are aspects 
that can help all sides. And, and that's kind of like where I envisioned it when I started sharing this information was, okay, what have I learned? Because I've worn, again, I've worn two uniforms in a short time sprint or in a short time frame relative to how young I am. And then I am pretty big outdoors, obviously, because of the stuff I'm into. So I'm like, okay, what can I share that will actually affect the most people, but not gatekeep any information or not like kind of neglect another group because again that's like that that was the first thing i saw was there was so much information on the tactical side but they weren't sharing it with civilians and then all the civilian hiking hunting dudes didn't really give a shit about the tactical side because they're like well it's not applicable to me Mm -hmm. so then you're much more of a a holistic approach to an entire person's capability both tactically and um like practically yeah, yeah, practically, yeah, practically right? would be the way to describe it. And then again, because like kind of like um, the way we were talking before we, you recorded it, I was saying like, I know certain things to stay in my lane again, because like I'm like all the information we were talking about, I'm not talking about anything shooting related because anyone who can like go on Google and look it up, Canada literally banned every firearm. <laughs> and even before they banned it all, Canada doesn't have a fucking firearm culture because again, I'll reference back to the LE side, dude. I literally shot three days a week outside of work with steel. Like I stole ammo from work to go shoot because we never did it. And no one on my shift would meet me at the range or the gym because they were fucking complacent. Nobody cared. Hmm. It, because it's because it's a cultural thing, right? Nobody cares. They'll do the bare minimum. Okay. I'm thinking about this. So then at the end of the day, right? So I'm looking at your logo right now, right? Kind of as we're recording. Yeah. Um, as, as you kind of share the knowledge, right. What were, what are maybe the, the two or three core values of non-complacency are you trying to preach to folks? Um, first and foremost, you're always a student, like regardless of your background or your quote unquote clout resume from you being XSF or X, whatever subject matter expert in your industry, there's always someone who's going to know more than you. So you mm-hmm. should always have that mind frame that you're, you can learn something from somebody. Okay. Okay. So I feel like, again, we've covered quite a few different things and you know with what you're doing now right i think you said you recently kicked this off where are you hoping to turn this into like a youtube channel full-blown kind of tutorial style or are you going to start teaching classes i mean if people want to start getting really close to you and following you and what you're doing i mean how can we i guess stay up to date and see what you're doing yeah so again whenever this started it was like okay how do we just share information and then whenever i collaborated with um static like that's his call sign he uses because again he's still very active law enforcement he's in the states he's ex-infantry as well um we found like this gap again where like there's the tactical side and like the total civilian side and no one's really sharing information so we said okay well how can we share the most information to affect the most people and at first we just started we started writing articles and then someone else told us like hey you guys should do a podcast because you guys like have a shit ton of knowledge and information between the two of you and you're kind of hitting a demographic that no one else is really talking about mm-hmm. from like a neutral 80 percent solution standpoint so we kicked off the podcast and then in the last i don't know three or four months we just started training like very small groups like maximum you know three to four dudes and then we just started one-on-one with a couple people because again um I don't want to say our competition, but like other field craft slash, you know, um, training survival, whatever companies, there's like a very clear line on like, here's the military LE side. 
here's the civilian side. Whereas we're approaching it on like, okay, well, we're only going to offer a couple skills again from our logo that are based on the four pillars of survival. So like shelter, fire, water, food, because you can apply all four of those to any application, regardless of your military, regardless of your hiker, hunter, if you're some law enforcement dude and like, yeah, everyone's like, well, it's not applicable. I'm like, well, it might be, you might have to like E and E or something, or like, you know, you may get trapped with your vehicle or your, or like your rural cop or something. But we just wanted to bridge that gap that it could help multiple different people instead of having a very clear line of a separation amongst the groups. I like it. I like it. I like your your use of the word practical, right? It's a very practical approach to a variety of skills. Yeah. And a lot of people, like, it's just a misinformation thing. Like people, like I'll use Instagram as like the prime example. Cause that's again, like, I don't have any, I don't have a personal social media account, but everyone on Instagram will look up like bushcraft shit. And they're, and they're like, Oh, you guys are teaching bushcraft. I'm like, well, no, the definition of bushcraft is actually like making things from nothing in the bush and living. So like, I'll give you an example. I'm like, someone will be like, I'll teach you how to make a spoon out of wood and I'll teach you how to make a fire from like, you know, a bow drill. And I'm like, yeah, that's super cool and primitive, but it's not practical. Whereas if I were to just tell you, Hey dude, carry a ferro rod on you 24 seven and have that shit tied off and probably carry like a coat in your backpack. That's probably more applicable than how to make this, you know, bow drill one time. And again, I'm not shitting on that primitive side because people want to learn that shit, but it, and that's why we're targeting the overall encompassing view of like a prepared mindset on like, well, if you were just prepared for every shitty scenario all the time, it doesn't really matter what happens. Cause I know on my person, I'm like, well, I have stuff for a shelter, have stuff for fire. I have water. Cause I carry a water bottle with me religiously. And yeah. I probably have snacks in my truck. Like that's super simple to do, but people again, aren't looking at it from a practical application. They want it to be super sexy because some ex green brace teaching it or some crazy dude off of the show alone. Who's super primitive. I'm like, okay, well, like what about normal people? Who just want these skills yeah and it looks cool when you take a picture of it yeah right? the day and age we live in right <clears throat> yeah but okay. a lot of people couldn't even do it if they had to right let alone because they want to yeah yeah i've tried starting fires with a feral rod and that's a bitch and a half in and of itself so yeah and then let alone trying to make a actual bow drill right Whereas people yeah. like a flint and steel, right? Uh -huh. Again, it's super cool, but it's not practical. Whereas like a ferro rod, like I could show you how to use it very easily by having staged tinder in your bag all the time versus, okay, you got to find tinder now and you're cold and you're wet and you were just in a car accident and you need to escape from your vehicle because you're in the middle of a highway of nowhere and you're going to freeze to death. I'm like, okay, but if you just carried key items in your bag and you understood the basic four principles, you're probably not going to die. Yeah, yeah. Right. That's simple enough. I know. Actually, I'm driving back home this weekend and it's a five and a half hour drive, six hour drive. And it snowed quite a bit. <clears throat> and I made sure I've got, you know, I'll put all my tools in. I'll probably take, honestly, I might just throw my duck hunting waders in the back seat just in case. I mean, you know, those things are, I don't know what they're rated for, but they're quilted. They're all insulated. And it's like, Hey, better safe than sorry. Right. Mm -hmm. Especially if you're driving your vehicle, like it's easy for you because you're not having to carry it in the rock. So yeah, hundred percent. I used yeah. to have um like a, it wasn't a bug. It was a get home bag because I was mm -hmm. driving a lot and I was all over Hell's Half Acre and I had a get home bag that had, you know, blanket, water, um, book, um, uh, nightsticks, stuff like like there was a ton of glow sticks. There was a ton of stuff in there that like I had meticulously planned it out and I'm sure everybody thought I was crazy, but I was like, 
no the world is a fucking hellhole it was during all the riots and stuff down here so i was like i was like you never know so i used to do that shit dude back in 2008 whenever i was like pretty new in the army like i only had a couple years in and people in my platoon thought i was a fucking psycho that i had like a get home bag in my subaru car yeah yeah i i that's what i should do i should grab my other bag because <laughs> i've got stuff in my storage because i've moved like three or four i think i moved three times this past summer so like i still have a bunch of my tools and stuff in storage and i've got one of my one of my get home bags is mostly still in, or like mostly together in storage i should just bring it home because it's just a small little bandit bag but anyways um all right man well i want to be respectful of your evening but is there anything that we haven't talked about related to anything so far unrelated whatever the case may be where you're like man this is top of mind super important for me to share i haven't got this out yet i'd like to talk more about x anything in particular that pops up the biggest thing honestly for like most people listening is just you don't need the craziest like resume or like stacked resume or personal experience and you don't need to like solve problems with a shit ton of gear and money a lot of a lot of things that we're trying to push in like the overall prepared mindset is is like kind of what i said earlier if you have the mindset that you're willing to learn and you're like a sponge and you're just going to suck up information and you want to get better most people can get better Mm -hmm. it's just are you going to put in the fucking effort sure right whereas again in this age of consumerism and like people ask us that all the time if we're going to sell shit i'm like and i always joke saying like well you can take our course i guess we're selling knowledge but i'm not like selling products not selling merch I'm not selling like a tool. I'm just trying to like teach you skills that I've learned through like really shitty experience and conditions so that you never experience that yourself. Hmm. Okay. Always be a student. Always learn. Ignorance is not bliss. hundred percent dude. And like, you know, it doesn't, it, it doesn't matter your background as long as you're willing to learn, like you can get better. Yeah. Mike, once again, man, thanks for taking the time. Uh, For everybody listening, hope you all took something uh, informative away from this conversation. I will be sure to link uh, uh, websites and uh, other podcast information in the episode description. Otherwise, I hope you all have a wonderful week, and uh, we will catch you next time. 